0: Ladies and gentlemen, it was a cold-blooded, premeditated murder. We find the defendant guilty. As they lay in their bed, someone armed themselves with a 410 shotgun, shot Joe Pittman in the mouth. And that same person took that 410 shotgun and fired, killing Joy Pittman. That person who did all those things is none other than their grandson, Christopher Pickett.
1: Oh, hey guys. Hello, welcome back to another episode. To another episode. (laughs) This is another episode.
2: Oh, you're so (laughs) good. Oh, thanks. (laughs) Well, I feel like I always sing in like the intros and it never actually sounds as good as I think it does in my head. Like... So I'm sorry. I, I think
1: it's beautiful and I used to sing almost... Remember when I used to sing every episode?
2: Yeah, I used to sing I did. to Katrina.
1: I did. I did. I did. Shout I out to, to Katrina. Say, shout out to Katrina. I would <laughs> literally sing to her, but I think I was singing out of nerves.
2: I. And I so now
1: I feel like I'm in a good that's place. That's
2: Oh, well, <laughs> fuck me, right? I'm just Are kidding. you nervous? Uh, I've, I actually... Okay, so I am kind of nervous for this case and I'm going to be honest because last case that I did... Was a mother who killed, right? And that's always a super touchy subject. Well, this case is going to be a child who kills.
3: Ooh. So I
2: kind of wanted to flip the script. And dealing with children, it's always a trigger warning for some, and I get that. And it's always nerve-wracking because you you're dealing with a small child's life. And for me, I think that's just super personal. And I mean, all of our cases are yeah. super personal, but. Just talking about a child. They're the most innocent among us.
1: They're the most vulnerable. Exactly. Yeah. That's why I love covering child cases. Not because I love to hear the horrible things, but because I'm emotionally invested more than I ever feel before. And I think that's my attraction to covering cases like that. Is it pulls something out of me?
2: Well, this case is about Christopher Pittman. Do you know who that is? Mm, I don't know by name. Okay.
1: Maybe as the story unfolds, I might have heard it, but the name's not familiar. Well, good.
2: Good. I always love cases when I can kind of surprise Molly a (laughs) little bit because (laughs) she's heard it all and seen it all. So, Uh, Thanks. Uh, So uh, picture this, Molly and listeners. It's November 29th, 2001. You see a black Nissan Pathfinder pulling off onto a gravel road in between a hunting club In rural Cherokee County, South Carolina. Okay, I'm there. Now, only a half mile later, this Nissan Pathfinder turns onto an old lodging road. And for the first few hours, the driver decided to hide behind a grove full of pine trees. Now, with this driver was Christy, a golden retriever mix. Oh, okay. Along with Christy, there were multiple guns, including a shotgun that police say was used to kill his grandparents.
1: Oh, okay.
2: Now, a few miles away, a neighbor reported a fire just before midnight on November 28th, so the night before this Nissan Pathfinder. Still within the same night. You know, it's not morning yet. So just before this Nissan Pathfinder was found. Within hours, the bodies of Joe Frank Pittman, who was 66, and Joy Roberts Pittman, who was 62, were discovered in the rubble of their Chester County home. Now, other people and neighbors noticed that the Pathfinder was gone because they knew it was Joe and Joyce. They also discovered that their 12-year-old grandson, Christopher Pittman, was also missing.
1: Damn. He can drive.
2: Well... I mean, obviously well enough to go down to Cherokee County. Now, police did put out an APB warning to be on the lookout for both the car and Christopher. However, this was actually the second time in five weeks that a search was needed for Christopher. Now, when he was found this time, police decided to charge him with double murder. Now, Christopher says he remembers everything about that night when he killed his grandparents. He remembers the blood, the shotgun blasts, even the voices urging him on. He also remembers a smoke detector that he claims screamed as he drove away from their rural South Carolina home after setting it on fire. He later told a forensic psychiatrist that something kept telling him to do it. Now, this wasn't the first trouble that Christopher has faced in his life. In fact, he's had many troubles for more than a matter of weeks of his birth.
1: Oh my gosh, wow.
2: So since he was born, it's just been one thing after another. Another state psychologist also stated that he was a young man who's had difficulty with adults in his life. He's always felt alienated from others and also reported a family history of emotional problems and mental illnesses. Even Christopher's family doesn't deny that he's had a lot of, I guess, mental hardships there's also been a lot of painful experiences in his life that quickly spun out of control i would say so there's like a lifelong progression of just sadness and depression since he's been born for the most part to really understand where this tale begins is to get the background on not only christopher's life but his parents life and his grandparents it's a domino effect always exactly yeah Now, troubles in Christopher's life began with his parents, Joe Pittman and Hazel Pittman. Now, a family member also called his parents' relationship, Joe and Hazel, a disaster from the start. They were never good for each other. They were very toxic in their relationship and throughout their whole entire marriage. They met in 1986 in high school in Central Florida, where they quickly fell in love. Now, Joe was a sophomore at the time, and Hazel was actually a freshman, and the next year, that's when their first daughter, Danielle, was born. Ooh, so early. Hazel was only 16. Ooh. Yeah. Now, Joe graduated the next year after Danielle was born and quickly joined the U.S. Army. Joe began boot camp in Alabama on May 11th of 1988, and 11 weeks later, he and Hazel were married. It would be his first first string of failed marriages
1: oh damn okay
2: in early april of 1989 so roughly a year later this is when joe and hazel welcomed their second child christopher frank Pittman. now he was born in huntsville alabama and six weeks later this is when christopher would experience his first of many family splits and divorces hazel decided to leave joe and returned back to florida by october of 1990 she's given birth to another son by another man while joe was deployed as part of operation desert storm
1: oh wow so
2: they're still together kind of or they were separated so she okay. left him to go to florida met another man had another baby got it all while joe Joe was deployed. Now, Hazel did leave the family while Joe was away, and she also left her children with Dupree, which is Hazel's mom. It would also be another decade before her children would ever see her again. Now, Dupree, which was the children's grandmother, she stated that they had no relationship with their mother, and that was her choice. She also decided to adopt Hazel's third child, Christopher's half-brother, and raise him as her own as well.
1: Oh wow! So she's kind of just abandoning her kids. Yeah, all
2: all three of them. And Dupree, her mom, decided to take care of all three of her children. She also stated, and I quote, "My daughter left them when they were born, basically." Oh. So she knew, yeah, she knew that it it was now her responsibility because her daughter left her children. That grandma's here now. Joe returned from the Middle East in March of 1991. He decided to move back with his children. To Alabama and that's where he was stationed as well. So when he was discharged later that year kind of in December area that's when they moved in with his parents in Oxford Florida. Joe also was remarried in 1992 but then was separated a year later. So that marriage was a quick fail. He and the children decided to move back with Nana and Pop Pop as his parents were called. So he basically said that his mom and dad were really like his children's parents. The whole entire time, it was either with Hazel's mom and dad or with Joe's. It was never with their actual parents.
1: Yeah, like their grandparents were basically more their parents than anybody else was.
2: Yes, yeah, because Joe was always stationed and Hazel just decided she didn't want to take care of them. Now, Joy, who was Joe's mom, she cooked for the family and washed the children's clothes. She also drove Danielle about 40 miles around round trip to her dance lessons. And then every morning, she would take Christopher to a primary school where he went to class and she would work as a receptionist. Now, grandfather Joe, remember Joe and Joy were the grandparents. Grandfather Joe and Joy owned a five-acre property. Mm. Mm -hmm. this is when the children were always swimming or taking rides with their grandfather on the tractor they would just have a lot of fun and they had a lot of space to really roam and and be children now joe and the kids eventually got their own place a few miles away but the children still saw their grandparents daily so christopher and his grandfather were very very close they even shared the middle name frank now many of their passions were also the same They loved hunting, fishing, and even taking things apart to figure out how they work. Now, Christopher's dad stated, my dad was Christopher's hero. He was under his feet constantly waiting to learn from him. So they were always together. Now, in 1997, this is when Joe's grandparents moved to South Carolina and they built their house in Chester County. So now I'm going to kind of shift gears from Christopher's parents to Christopher's Grandparents, Joe Frank and Joy. Joe Frank Pittman, who was again Christopher's grandfather, he was born in 1935. In the 1980s, the couple bought about 20 acres in the woods off of Slick Rock Road in Chester County. That is pretty much where they plan to retire. Now, this move devastated their grandchildren because they pretty much helped raise, you know, Hazel's children. Christopher, who was only eight at the time of the move, he took this to heart.
1: Yeah, he probably felt like his grandpa was abandoning him and it was the one person he was so close with.
2: Yeah, it was the one person in his life that was consistent because his dad was always deployed or stationed somewhere and his mom just took off when he was only a few weeks old. So... His grandfather now, who has been in his life for the whole eight years, now just decided to move a whole different fucking state away. Yeah,
1: and he's like, he doesn't understand that. Yeah, it's devastating.
2: Now, Christopher's father, Joe, he did do, for the most part, all that he could do to be in his children's lives and to kind of help them out as, as best as possible. But because he was always deployed or stationed, he didn't really have... He didn't really have a say in the most part and he did that so he can support his family so christopher he liked playing video games and he also played center field for his youth baseball team he was also nicknamed bug because he loved insects Aww. he was also described as very reserved and quiet and he was very very thin like he was a stick in his family photos you can see his chestnut eyes He had very short hair and a smile stretching from ear to ear. He was described as a perfect, happy kid. Now, although Joe, Frank, and Joy moved about 500 miles away, their grandchildren still visited often. Christopher even became friends with many of the boys in their area. So Christopher, he was described as very well-rounded and well-liked. He also attended a Methodist church that his grandparents went to. Now, the reverend at this church stated that he was as normal and carefree as any little boy there was. In Chester, Christopher enjoyed swimming in creeks. There was also some campgrounds, and he also loved playing in the woods. He would also ride his grandfather's four-wheeler, and neighbors also saw that he enjoyed driving their family car up and down the big, long, dirt driveway. So he knew how to drive for the most part. But obviously, he was really young and he didn't have a license. I do also want to note that his grandfather would often allow this to happen. It's not like he would go out and do it by himself. He had permission by his his grandfather in order to drive the car up, up the dirt road. Now, back in Florida in 1996, Christopher's dad, Joe, remarried once again. Now, this marriage also brought two more children. And their arrival had a negative effect on Christopher because he said that there was, I guess, a difference in how those children were being treated and they had a different life from the beginning. Now, Joe stated that there were a lot of things that affected Christopher, but it shouldn't have been any more than what a normal child would experience. Christopher and his sister were held to high academic standards, but the other children were not.
1: So these other kids are getting the impression that these kids are getting cared for more
2: yeah. than they did. Just like any normal child growing up in this time period, if Christopher got in trouble, he would get spanked or he was restricted from watching television, using the computer, the normal grounding site. He also once wore his father's army uniform for a uniform day in his middle school. A young boy took Christopher's hat and joe stated that christopher jumped on the kid to get it back
1: Ooh, so he was so protective of things like that exactly. it was like a sentimental thing for yep. him you did not want anybody touching it but him
2: exactly now this is i guess around the time period of where his aggression did kind of show obviously jumping on a child's back to get his hat back was not okay but you can kind of understand where he was coming from just like you said that protective side Another time, he and a friend shot up a mobile home with a pellet gun. Ooh, a little bit more aggressive. Mm -hmm. And there is also another instance where he chased after his sister with a baseball bat.
1: Ooh, not good, not
2: good. So it progressively started getting worse. Now, Dupree, remember Hazel's mom, she stated when it's taken out of context, it sounds very terrible, but it was just kids being kids. So I can understand. Yeah, I get it to to a degree for sure. Now, in 2001, Joe and his third wife split, the mother of the two other daughters. Later that summer, that's when Christopher and Danielle got something they'd always wanted, and it was a chance to get to know their mom.
1: Ooh, Hazel came back?
2: Hazel came back. Now, Dupree said they'd been through two stepmothers and naturally wanted their own mom. Yeah, who wouldn't? You want to know your own mom. Exactly. You want to know if they love you and if they want to hold you and if yeah. they care for you. So it was kind of bittersweet for the children, for sure. Now, Hazel came to Florida for a two-week vacation. So it didn't last long. But it was only after a few months of giving birth to her seventh child. Holy crap. So she's been having more kids. A- yep. Uh, behind the scenes? Mm-hmm, behind the scenes.
1: Oh, damn, girl.
2: Now, it was originally just a two-week vacation, and it turned into staying for a few months. Now, Hazel told both her mother and Joe that she had changed and wanted to get to know her own children. Now, as she stayed longer and longer, this is when Hazel rented a mobile home near Oxford and brought her four children who were living with, with her down in Virginia, brought them over to live with them in this mobile home
1: so seven kids in this mobile home
2: it was four in the mobile home because remember uh christopher and danielle lived with the grandparents and there was other children not living with her but still four children brand new introduced into christopher's life that he had no you know no knowledge on That has to be heartbreaking. Yeah, he's confused. He's dealing with a lot of things in and out, in and out. Exactly. And it's almost as if, you know, Christopher is now feeling like his dad had two more children that he cared for. His mom had four more children that she cared for. But why not them? Why not Christopher and Danielle?
1: Why my parents are having more kids because they want more kids, but why don't they want me?
2: Exactly. Yeah. He's feeling replaced. Mm -hmm. Now even more confusion arose because Hazel and Joe began to rekindle their old relationship. I know. Molly just made a face and <laughs> that was literally the face I had while researching well, this Don't case. confuse the kids
1: more. Exactly. If, if you know it's not going to work out, it's just yeah. going to suck for everybody.
2: Mm-hmm. Now, Dupree stated that Hazel told Joe that she and her husband were separated, but they were not yet divorced. As this Old relationship began to grow, so did the relationship between Hazel and Christopher and Danielle. So she decided to also rekindle her relationship with her two other children. Now, Hazel and Danielle shared clothes together. That's how tiny Hazel was. Holy crap. She also met her daughter's friends and took her to register for high school. Now, Christopher, however, he and his mom also shared things but it was more of a personality aspect. They were both very, very shy. So he shared more of their emotions and reservations. And of course, you know, Hazel and Danielle shared clothes, the the more physical items. Yeah. Now, October came around, and this is when Hazel's husband threatened to take custody of their children. So it's not working out. Not working out. Because she told Joe that they were separated, But now it's more along the lines of, you're not divorced, you have my children, and it's just bringing more drama to the table. Now, after this threat came about, this is when Joe and his two children, so Christopher and Danielle, they came by Hazel's mobile home and Hazel told them to leave and don't come back. She said she wasn't going to lose custody of her other children over this. Oh, i know
1: just the thing we don't want to happen exactly just to
2: reiterate what he would feel in the whole entire time Mm -hmm. now within days this is when christopher decided that he's just had enough he's emotionally distressed and he ran away from their home sometime around 11 p.m in 2001 while he ran away he took a backpack full of clothes and 70 dollars worth of cash now, deputies in the neighborhood also stated that they picked Christopher up at an Arby's restaurant along the interstate. Now, this was also the following day. So, Christopher has been gone for over 24 hours.
1: Wow, surprised he made it somewhere. Like, I know.
2: <laughs> now, a day before that had happened, he'd asked his sister which way was north because he wanted to run away to his other grandparents' home in Chester, Joe, Frank, and Joy. Now, after this, this is when Christopher kind of, I guess, went downhill. He started receiving bad grades, which also led to him being grounded more often. There was no television, no video games, nothing. This also strained his relationship with his dad. Now, his dad did want Christopher to see a psychologist, so he did. And when he was talking to the state psychologist, Christopher stated... That his father had beat him. Whoa. Now an investigator from the Florida Department of Child and Families decided that that claim was not true. And in fact, it wasn't. It It was was just something that he made up for attention. Wow. That same night, this is when Christopher also reported that he threatened to harm himself. After his threat of self-harm, this is when he was admitted to a behavioral health center in Florida for the next few days. Now, his dad decided he didn't belong there, even though doctors also diagnosed him as clinically depressed and put him on Paxil, which is an antidepressant widely used for depression. Now, Paxil at the time was not approved for people under 18. Oh, wow. So he's a young kid and they gave him this? Mm Mm-hmm. So his father decided that he wanted to let Christopher temporarily move to Chester to be with his grandparents. He thought that this would be best for him. When Christopher arrived in October of 2001 to live with them, Joe and Joy were thrilled. They seemed like this was his best chance to find stability. Now Dupree, Hazel's mom, stated when he left there, he was thrilled. He was going to live with Nana and Pop Pop and he loved it. So he was still this lively kid, even though he's just had a rough, you know, couple of of weeks.
1: He just needs love, exactly. Honestly, true, honest attention, love, and understanding mm-hmm. is what I'm feeling like he's missing. And if he wants to be with his grandparents, I it's where he felt most, most of comfortable. That.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now Christopher was then enrolled into Chester Middle School and attended the Methodist Church, where Joy also played the organ. Joe Frank sing in that choir as well. So they were kind of attending this church as a family and it was a normal event every week. Joe Frank and Joy also knew that Christopher was on Paxil. They decided to take him to a family doctor and this new doctor switched his medication from Paxil to Zoloft.
1: Ooh, Zoloft, we don't know what that is. Mm
2: -hmm. It's another antidepressant that now the family actually blames for causing Joe Frank and Joy's death ooh okay now church members knew christopher had problems but they also thought that his grandparents were working with him to kind of figure them all out it was also clear that christopher had changed his behavior from prior visits after he went on Zoloff. people from the church noticed that he'd become withdrawn and mouthy and it was a noticeable difference that everyone can see Now, the strange thing is that family members that were still in Florida also noticed a change, but it was in a different way. When Christopher and his grandparents visited Florida for Thanksgiving, he was very happy, hyperactive. There was something that was just not right, out of character for Christopher. Dupree stated that he never did anything, and I quote, in 10th gear. He was always so laid back, but this time he was all over the place.
1: Yeah, like you mentioned before, he's like super shy. So I would assume he was a layback, super shy kid. And I don't know what happened in Florida, but maybe he was like bouncing off the walls, talking to everybody, like yeah. up in everybody's face, yep. like just just being being a kid, but with too much energy.
2: Exactly. Now Joe also stated that Danielle first noticed the change, but didn't think much of it because he was just so happy. And Danielle was happy for him. Joe also remembers that his son couldn't wait to take his medicine.
1: Oh, it was,
2: oh, God, that's so sad. Joe stated, he was almost like a drug addict. Yeah. I thought it was odd, but thought he was trying to be responsible.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what my head jumped to. It was chemically changing his brain mm-hmm. as it would. I mean, it's supposed to give you more serotonin. And if his levels were just relatively normal and all he needed was just like environmental help and not chemical help. Now you're pushing all these extra serotonin chemicals
2: into his brain. Exactly. And
1: it's like messing it up.
2: And switching from Paxil to Zoloft in such a short time frame too, like that is rough on anybody, much less a child when it wasn't approved for anybody under 18. On November 27th, 2001, Christopher was on his way home from school. This is also when he began to pick on a smaller, younger boy. Now, according to another child, both Christopher and this young man was on the bus together. All three boys got on and off at the same bus stop. Now, this bus ride did last for about 45 minutes. And near the end of the trip, this is when Christopher pinned a nine-year-old boy's head against the window and choked him using his two fingers oh now the third boy stated it began by him playing around the younger boy soon began to cry and the third boy said he tried to break it up but when they got off the bus this is when christopher told the boy he'd kill him if he told anyone what happened now all three of the boys just decided to dismiss that as if nothing happened i think That nine-year-old child was probably scared for his life. Plus, Christopher was 12, the second boy was 11, and the younger boy was, again, nine. So I think because Christopher was the eldest of the group, they just decided they wanted no part of that. The next day, the parents of the boy who was choked reported the incident to their school. And this is when school officials called Joe, Frank, and Joy. Now, Joe Frank picked Christopher up and told officials, and I quote, he'd handle it when he got home. That's always scary when you hear your parents or grandparents say that, like, you know, your ass is grass at that point.
1: (laughs) Yeah, my parents have said that to me before, and I was always like, I wish this car ride will never end.
2: Exactly. so like, I don't want to get out of this car. I'm almost 30. And if my mom says that, like, I'm running the other way. Like, I gotta go by. <laughs> Investigators also found out that, in fact, his grandparents demanded that Christopher wrote a letter of apology to this young man. They also threatened to send him back to Florida if his behavior didn't improve, which is a red flag for Christopher. That same night, this is when they had rehearsal at church. And of course, Christopher went with them. Now, witnesses also reported that Christopher was extremely quiet throughout that whole entire church trip. He sat alone while other children rehearsed for a Christmas play, and his grandparents became even more upset with Christopher because he was kicking the piano bench and not settling down. Now, all three of them left around 8 p.m., and everything seemed fine, according to a witness. They were also going to go home to help Christopher with his homework because they still wanted a structured learning. This is within hours of the fire being reported on Slick Rock Road. Now at first people thought that the woods were burning behind them because of the intense red glow in the sky but as firefighters and a lot of other neighbors arrived to the scene they realized it was the Pittman's house. Now, the neighbors also thought that no one was home because their car was gone. Now, combing through the rubble, this is when investigators discovered the two bodies of Joe, Frank, and Joy. Originally, they were labeled as Jane and John Doe until they could be positively identified. Now, they also knew that there should have been a third body of Christopher's. Joe, Frank, and Joy were found side by side on the mattress, in an upstairs bedroom. Now, when the third body wasn't found, this is when police issued the APB out for Christopher as well as the Pathfinder. Now, an off-duty firefighter stated that he saw the Pathfinder while hunting near a creek in Cherokee County. He also mentioned that no one was inside the vehicle, but his hunting partner, came across Christopher in the woods. He was wearing camouflage and carrying a rifle. Oh, wow. And of course, Christopher's dog, Christy, was barking nearby. Now, this is when the story kind of gets more intriguing- because Christopher told the men that there was a bunch of money and guns in the car. He also stated that some guy had him down in the woods and he claimed he'd been kidnapped.
4: He got 35 miles away when the truck got stuck in the woods.
5: There's a little pull-off right here on the left. When I come around through here, he was pulled up in here.
4: Where Chris ran into two deer hunters.
0: Uh, His first words to them are,
4: a black
3: guy killed his grandparents and brung him here.
4: The hunters, Roland Pennington and Terry Robinson, found Chris's story and his behavior to be
3: very strange. He never, to me, showed no kind of emotion like somebody that would be kidnapped and brought here.
2: Now, Christopher and these two men walked about two miles to the volunteer fire department in the woods. The off-duty firefighter stated that Christopher stayed at the station watching cartoons and eating cheeseburgers. He was very comfortable. The boy also told firefighters that he would later tell Chester County and state law enforcement that he'd been sleeping in his grandparents' house when he heard a noise outside. He said he looked out of the window and saw a black man enter the house from the front porch. To blame this on a minority man because it was convenient for him really upset me. At this time, Christopher told officers that he ran outside and hid because he was afraid of the intruder. Now, the sheriff's detective stated during a June court hearing that Christopher told authorities he heard four shots fired before the man came outside and ordered Christopher to get the keys to the Pathfinder. He is setting the story up.
1: Yeah, he's smart enough to Try to get away with the crime.
2: Exactly. Christopher also mentioned that this random man used a gasoline can to set the house on fire before forcing Christopher into the car and taking him to Cherokee County. Now, when Christopher was asked about the dog by these volunteer firefighters, this is when they got suspicious. Christopher stated that Christie had just followed him casually, just, just follow followed him. him. And of course, knowing that grandparents were shot, the house was on fire, is it really that common for a dog to follow its human? I, I don't know. I don't know. But this is also when red flags went up, of course, because it's a little suspicious. It's a, a tweak in the story for sure. Now, at the same time, that Christopher was talking about this random man, information about the bus fight came in, and this is when Christopher became a suspect, showing a violent tendency. It was at the time that he was read his rights and taken to the Cherokee County Sheriff's Office, where investigators stated he confessed.
0: I explained to him then that sometimes kids have a hard time saying my name, so it was okay if he called me Lucy.
4: Lucinda McKellar, now with SLED, the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, was then a sheriff's investigator experienced with working with children.
3: Did he seem traumatized by what he had gone through? He was cool and calm, and I was very, very impressed with him. Did he seem nervous at all? No. No. And
4: he remained calm, she says, throughout an afternoon of playing cards and watching TV until he finally told the truth and admitted the killings.
5: He said, I'm not sorry. Um, He said they deserved it.
2: Now, Christopher's father, Joe, also gave some details that led to the event, as well as a testimony given by that state psychologist, which also revealed a lot of details about what actually went down that night. So apparently... After returning from church, Joy went straight to bed. She stated that she was exhausted because of the stress caused by Christopher's trouble at school that same day. The boy and Joe Frank, his grandfather, decided to stay up for a little bit longer and they were watching a nature program on TV in the living room. They both eventually went to bed, and Joe Frank was in the loft upstairs. While Christopher went to his bedroom at the bottom of the staircase. It was only moments later that the boy got up, went into the living room, went into the gun cabinet, which was tucked beneath the stairs, so pretty close to where his his bedroom was. He removed a pump-action 410-gauge shotgun. Now this shotgun, his grandfather had actually given to Joe, Christopher's dad, when Joe turn 10. Now Joe, knowing that this is a family emblem for the most part, gave this to Christopher at Thanksgiving. Joe now says that that is something that he will forever regret. Now the shotgun was loaded with a birdshot and Christopher climbed up the stairs to the dark loft where his grandparents were sleeping. He turned left at the top of the landing, faced the side of the bed, And without turning on the lights, this is when he fired at least two shots. Wow. One into his grandfather's open mouth. What? And another into the back of his grandma's head.
1: How did he do that with the lights off?
2: I, I don't know. Now, this is when he found candles in the medicine cabinet of the upstairs bedroom. He also placed the lit candles around the house with paper, lighter fluid, and gasoline to set the house on fire.
1: It's so scary.
2: That is scary.
1: The fact that a 12-year-old did all of that so intentionally. And then there's always a side of you that's like, if he was raised with not as much turmoil and like abandonment issues, would this have even happened?
2: Exactly. It's kind of, it's unbelievable But at the same time, some people could possibly understand the reason behind it. But also at the same time, there's no reason for murder at all. So it's kind of this case is a tough one to really judge, I guess, the behavior of the murderer at this point, you know? Yeah, and he's a child. He's 12. So it's even harder. Exactly, yeah. Now, this confession that Christopher gave led to the charges of double murder and arson. Even though he was only 12 at the time of the killing, a family court judge actually agreed to waive the boy up to adult court in June. Wow. Now, the judge requested the move, citing the, and I quote, absolute cold bloodedness of the crime.
1: Yeah, I'd agree. That's exactly what I said. Like the planning of it is what makes it so cold blooded. You
2: knew exactly what you were doing. The death penalty was not sought after because in 1988, this is when the US Supreme Court set the minimum age for capital punishment at 16. So had he have been an adult or over the age of 16, more than likely they would have looked at the death penalty for this crime. Now, Christopher was looking at 30 years to life in prison if he was convicted. That is a very long time. The defense and prosecution were also trying to reach a plea agreement. However, the defense stated that it was no use because he fully believed he could win this case.
0: The judge called to scene at the end of the day and started to explore possibilities the case could be resolved on a plea.
4: The offer? Voluntary manslaughter. The sentence? Up to the judge. From two to 30 years. But a confident Andy Vickery turns down the deal.
0: Well, I mean, we just can't conceive of 12 people unanimously finding this boy guilty.
2: Now, his family, however, also wasn't interested in this plea agreement because while they don't doubt that Christopher pulled the trigger, they also feel that he doesn't deserve to spend a day in adult prison. He may have committed the act, but he is not criminally responsible, they said. A 12-year-old kid who's going through so much stuff that doesn't have coping skills and then given prescription drugs
1: with access to weapons, you might not have a good situation.
2: That was my next point. His family blames the medication. They also knew that he suffered from depression, and they said that the antidepressants changed Christopher wholeheartedly. He was a different person. Now, Dupree stated, and I quote, until that point, he was still Christopher. Then you bring medication into the equation and it changed this quiet boy. All of a sudden, it all happened in a very short period of time.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm.
2: And even with um, like adults,
1: yeah. if adults take medication, you'll be able to be like, he was so much different. She was so much different whenever they were not taking the drugs that they're on.
2: Yeah, exactly. That's what drugs do. Yep, they change Prescribed you. or not, drugs change you, regardless of the drug. That's the whole point of taking drugs. Honestly, it really is. To change your, your behavior and to, to change how you feel. Now, Joe, Christopher's dad, also believes his son needs extensive therapy and not jail time. And I quote, he'll need that just with the trauma of having to live with this for the rest of his life.
3: I mean, they're looking at you wondering whether you are a cold-blooded killer. You know, that's what they're looking. They're trying to look at your eyes and say, is this a bad kid, or is this a kid who unfortunately took a drug that affected him? Mm -hmm. What do you want the jury to know? The truth. Which is? The medicine. You totally believe this was the medicine?
5: Yes, ma'am. I mean, you, you can't control yourself. It's just... I don't know, I mean, you just can't control yourself.
3: Were you aware you were actually going to get the rifle and loading it? I mean, were you aware of that?
5: Mm Mm-hmm. It was just like you sitting there watching TV. I mean, everything that's, you know, going on, it can't be stopped.
3: Had you ever felt that kind of anger before? Mm Mm-hmm. What did it feel like?
5: This is like it all just exploding, I mean. The little stain would just set me off. And you know, I was like a bomb just ready to blow up. These voices in my head just echo into my head and keep getting louder and louder and louder.
3: And what were these voices say?
5: You know, kill.
3: How strong was that voice?
5: Strong enough so I, I did it.
3: Were you aware of what you had done? Did you know that your grandparents were dead at that point?
5: I thought it was all a dream. I finally got to the point where I haven't forgiven myself, but I kind of found peace with myself. And then this, you know, the trial comes and then
3: it all comes back. Do you think that you've paid enough of a price?
5: Oh, um, that's, that's a yes and no. Yes in a way, but no in a way too because In a way, I feel, you know, that I should be in jail for the rest of my life. It was me, but it wasn't me.
2: Now, little is actually known about Christopher's response to Paxil because he only took the drug for a couple of days before he was changed over. But reports about his reactions to Zoloft varied. He also later told a psychiatrist that his mood had changed on the medication to the extent that he, and I quote, didn't have any feelings. Now, there were notes from a local doctor who was the person who prescribed medication for Christopher um, to take Zoloft, and this painted a different picture, according to court records. So this physician saw Christopher just a few days before the killing, and he described him in a way, and I quote, lots of energy, no plans to self-harm not flying off the handle, end quote. Now that kind of painted two different pictures of who Christopher was while on this medication. There was psychiatric reports that also suggest that Christopher's tailspin began when his parents rekindled their relationship in 2001, only to have it end once again, you know, it's hard on a child. Now after his mom left that time, And he threatened to kill himself. After his hospitalization, he was also diagnosed. And the records did show that it was mild chronic depression. That's also when he was put on Paxil. So there was court records of all of his medication use and the time framing of his background as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's important. It all... There's a reason why a 12-year-old child would do that. Something happened.
2: There was also records that Zoloft is an antidepressant for pediatric patients and adults alike. So this is a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. So in the medical field, it's called an SSRI. Three years after the murder, so this is just before the trial, Christopher was now out on bail. His other grandmother moved up from Florida to be with him before the trial hearing starts. It's no
4: wonder the prosecution is opposed to allowing Chris out on bail. But four days into the trial, the defense wins a major battle. Hey! It's the first time Chris has been out of custody in three years. so
5: You happy? Yes, sir.
4: Are you at all worried about taking him home with you? You're his other grandmother. Not at all. I am not the least bit worried.
2: I have waited so long.
4: I have absolutely no fear of Christopher.
2: Now, prosecutors in the trial portrayed him as this troubled killer.
4: How vicious was this killing?
0: I mean, it's as vicious a case as, as, uh, as you can see. I don't think the Zolov, to be honest with you, had any effect on him. I really don't. You know, our law is very specific. Um, did you know the difference between right and wrong? I think Chris found out when he came up there that, yeah, they were loving, caring grandparents, but they also so we're going to discipline him and try to get him straight. And, and I just don't think he wanted that.
2: His defenders stated that the killings occurred for a reason, which was beyond his control, the medication.
0: These drugs trigger violent behavior frequently toward oneself, but also towards others. Did they give us the Zoloft litigation manual?
4: Vickery and his team of lawyers plan to argue a rarely used type of insanity plea, known as involuntary intoxication.
0: When someone takes a medication under a doctor's advice, they don't expect to become intoxicated to the point that they're out of their minds. You look at this picture, this is just a child. He's a kid. He was five 5'2", 96 pounds at the time of this. He's a
2: kid. This defense, which has been used before, has only had a couple of handfuls of success rates. Most medical experts don't believe that there's a link between antidepressants and acts of extreme violence, which made this one of the most iconic national headline cases for a small boy to be on antidepressants and commit an act of extreme violence. It also was hard because there was a debate over the safety of antidepressant use in children and teenagers. So there was multiple factors that was affecting this case. Now, depression has always been a very complex condition, and antidepressants like Paxil and Zoloft has helped countless children and adults, but it has also showed in studies, a link to violence. In 2004, the FDA examined data from a clinical trial, and it did indicate that some depressed children and adolescents taking antidepressants think more about suicide and attempt it more often than the patients given placebos. So there is a link.
1: Yeah, you have a small developing child who already has problems with coping skills, then you're going to give them drugs. And I think a natural reaction to frustration with not knowing how things work is is violence. And I think
2: exactly. it'll
1: make them act out in that way. if If they don't know what's happening to their body and their mind they're going to get frustrated. They're going to get angry. Exactly.
2: Now the FDA's clinical trial, their findings did vary between the drugs that were taken. So it wasn't just Zoloft. There was plenty of other antidepressants that they were sifting through. The FDA was also scheduled to hold an advisory committee meeting on that issue a month later.
0: The defense
5: call Dr. Lynette Atkins.
4: Dr. Atkins, who evaluates
2: juvenile defendants for the
4: state of South Carolina,
5: the give the court and the trial?
4: usually testifies on behalf of the prosecution. I you know, got the
5: statements that were made when he was arrested.
4: So her diagnosis took many of her colleagues by surprise. You know,
5: everybody was telling me I was crazy. All my colleagues, you know, how could you possibly? support that defense. You know, How can you possibly believe this about this child? But she's not the
4: only medical professional who testifies for Chris at trial.
0: We call Dr. Richard Caput.
4: Dr. Richard Caput, a scientist who worked for the FDA for 14 years, once approved Zoloff for human clinical trials.
0: Do you have an opinion as to whether Christopher Pittman was involuntarily intoxicated by Zoloff?
5: Yes, I do. I believe he was. I believe he did
0: not have the ability to form criminal intent on that date due to intoxication with Zoloft.
4: Caput now believes the medication can drastically alter the behavior of some juveniles, causing a chemically induced anger. But for every doctor who blames Zoloft, there's another who says Christopher Pittman knew exactly what he was doing.
0: There was no evidence that he wasn't thinking correctly. There was lots of evidence that he knew what he had done was wrong.
4: Psychiatrist James Ballinger points to the story Chris told police, blaming the killings on a six foot two black man. That, Dr. Ballinger says, clearly shows Chris knew he had done something wrong. Another psychiatrist, Dr. Julian Sharman, spoke to Chris just hours after the murders.
0: Regarding his grandparents, asked if he feels upset about what happened, he responds with, kinda. Asked if he loved or hated them, he responds, quote, I loved them and sometimes I hated them. Asked if he feels they deserved what happened, he responds, quote, They, they asked for it. Unquote.
2: Dr. Pamela Crawford, who was a forensic psychiatrist, she was asked by the state's prosecutor to examine the boy and concluded in her report that Christopher knew exactly what he was doing when he took his grandparents' lives. She also mentioned that he felt abandoned by his mother. And his relationship with his father, who raised him in Florida originally, was troubled. Now, Christopher told this same forensic psychiatrist, and I quote, I haven't had that good a life. My real mom left when I was two.
1: All he wanted was that stereotypical mom, dad, happy family living in a home life.
2: Yeah. And for a a while there, he did get that when Hazel moved back. And then she was again ripped from his life. Now, Dr. Crawford also stated that he provided non-psychotic reasons for killing his grandparents. Dr. Crawford also stated that following his detention by police after the murder, Christopher also made self-protective statements to avoid arrest prior to admitting his actions. So he pretty much admitted guilt. He also admitted that he knew right from wrong. So he knew exactly what he was doing. He was trying to protect himself from getting in trouble. Prosecutors used the angle of a young boy who just needed some help. He wasn't used to being disciplined. And once he was staying with a family that was ready to take this action and help straighten him out, that's when he decided he didn't like rules. He's never had them before.
0: Summary of the defense in this case is real simple.
4: In his closing argument, defense attorney Andy Vickery tells the jury that Chris would never have killed had it not been for Zoloft.
0: There's no other rational explanation. This wasn't a bad kid. He hadn't been in trouble with school. He hadn't been in trouble with authorities. He was a good boy. While
4: another defense attorney, Paul Waldner, asked the jury to look past the 15-year-old teen sitting in court.
0: This trial is not about the 15-year-old in his body. It's about the 12-year-old right here. That's who the trial is about. We do not convict children for murder when they've been ambushed by chemicals that have destroyed their ability to reason.
4: The last words, however... I don't how
0: old he is. ...come from
4: the prosecutor, Barney Gasset.
5: That is as malicious a killing, murder as you're ever going to find.
4: A powerful demonstration. Pumped it again
5: and fired a fourth shot.
4: To remind the jury how this 12-year-old killed his grandparents.
0: That is how close Chris Pittman was to his grandfather, who had to have been facing him, looking at his face, and
5: he fired that shot
0: into
5: his
2: mouth. It was then, on February fifteenth, two 2005, that Christopher was convicted of murder and sentenced to 30 years in prison.
4: What do you think should happen to your brother? You did lose both your grandparents. He took their lives.
2: I understand that,
1: but I honestly think he should come home.
3: You think he's been punished enough?
1: He's going to have to go through and live with the fact that he did this for the rest of his life. I think that's punishment enough.
4: But will the jury agree?
0: I understand that there's a verdict. Ready to proceed?
4: After seven hours of deliberation, there's a decision.
0: All right, and that is as to each indictment, the verdict is unanimous, is that correct? Yes, sir. Could you please hand that up to the court? Case number 2004, GS-12-571, the state of South Carolina versus Christopher Frank Pittman we the jury unanimously find a defendant guilty of murder.
4: You were prepared for that verdict, were you? Ooh.
3: No,
0: no, I wasn't. I felt um, just devastated. They ripped my heart out. Mr. Vickery, do you have any other statements you'd like to make?
4: Vickery's agony is made worse, knowing he could have taken the plea.
0: I do have some discretion in sentencing, not a lot in this matter.
4: Under South Carolina law, the most lenient sentence allowed is 30 years. And that's what the judge gives Chris.
0: As to each of these counts, the defendant receive a sentence of 30 years. Those will be concurrent to one another, not consecutive. Um, Good luck to you.
2: Now this jury took six hours to reject Christopher's claim that he was involuntarily intoxicated by Zoloft and could not be held responsible for the crime. There was also some controversy about the verdict because two of the jurors admitted feeling coerced into their decision because another juror openly discussed the trial with his wife and bartender during deliberations. Bartender? Yep. Dude, uh, I
1: understand a wife and be like, hey, don't tell, like, you're my wife, I tell you everything. But the bartender,
2: the bartender. I don't
1: understand how a jury of two weeks can think that they know somebody well enough to convict them guilty of this kind of crime.
5: It was difficult.
1: One of those
4: Uh, jurors, 26-year-old Stephen Platt, said that he he and the others simply couldn't accept the defense claim that a drug could cause a person to kill.
5: There's millions of other people in this country that take it every day. Why would he be the only one that reacts like
2: that? So I do, I mean, now that this case has kind of wrapped up for the actual case, I do want to really talk about Zoloft and Paxil, because since then, this this case really did have a play into the world of antidepressants today. So psychiatrists have always known that their adult patients could possibly experience increased suicidal thinking or agitation during the first few weeks of treatment with SSRI type antidepressants. In May of 2003, the owner of Paxil made a disclosure related to the pediatric use of the drug which would set off a cascade of events, especially Christopher's case. Now that month, the drug baker also told the FDA and its British counterpart agency that it needed to be re-examined and published because the test data had a lot of unpublished data behind the scenes. Now this unpublished data also stated that it showed adolescents who took Paxil during their clinical trials had more suicidal thoughts or attempted suicide more often than those who received the placebo, just like stated earlier. Six months earlier before this trial happened, a curious FDA analyst contacted the company seeking for more safety information, and that company denied. So it was only within weeks after this you know, misinformation was out there that the British drug regulators told their doctors not to prescribe Paxil to any new patients younger than 18. So they already squashed that drug and already acknowledged the fact that it can change young adults or children. In June of 2003, that's when the FDA followed suit. So about a month after that, all antidepressant makers needed to provide more safety data about their pediatric testing. Now Pfizer, which is the maker of Zoloft, actually helped the county solicitor who was prosecuting Christopher Pittman.
4: Pfizer, Zoloft's manufacturer, does acknowledge their research shows some increased risk of aggression, but a company doctor told the jury there's no link to homicide.
5: No attempts in this clinical study at all, doctor, of homicide, is it? Oh, no, absolutely not.
2: Now, the plaintiff's lawyers from Houston and Los Angeles, they brought numerous civil lawsuits against Pfizer and other antidepressant makers who have signed them onto a defense team. Same ones that helped Christopher or attempted to help Christopher. There was also groups who were opposed to the pediatric use that also supported Christopher's case. There was even a forensic psychiatrist who testified at Christopher's hearing who stated she believed that Christopher committed the murders while in a psychotic state induced by Zoloft. She was actually worried that the publicity may frighten parents whose children could really benefit from Zoloft and similar drugs. She stated that she wished it would have stayed in Chester, South Carolina with this one kid. There was a pediatric antidepressant debate that focused on potential suicide risks and aggressive behavior, which was a side effect of antidepressants. There's also been case reports of adults and children on these antidepressants acting violently. This still did not play any effect on Christopher's case. There's only a handful of psychiatrists that have ever argued that these antidepressant medications can unleash rages so uncontrollable that could make a person want to commit murder. Now, while Christopher's case was pending, and this is before his conviction, Pfizer previously stated that no regulatory agency has ever found a connection between Zoloft and suicidal or homicidal behavior, which we know is not the truth.
1: Dude, in the commercials, it literally I mean, this was before, but even in the commercials now, they're all like, if you take this medication, you might suffer from suicidal thoughts or violent action like they say that in exactly the disclaimer.
2: exactly so zoloft is also similar to paxil it's also similar to prozac and in the last year of the trial federal drug regulators issued that cautionary statement about ssris and similar so, medications yeah Now, one of the reasons why this was so controversial at the time was because a few months earlier, and this is earlier than Christopher's trial, there was another lawyer whose name was Arnold Vickery, also known as Andy, and he actually convinced a federal jury hearing in Cheyenne, Wyoming, that Paxel had caused a man to go on a murderous rampage. Now in June of 2001, that same jury ordered the maker of Paxil to pay a 6.5 million settlement to the relatives of his name was Donald Shell, who two days after starting the drug murdered his wife, his daughter, and his granddaughter before killing himself.
1: Holy crap.
2: The company appealed and settled the case in undisclosed terms
1: Mm -hmm. yeah
2: so while it's hard to really compare both these you know the civil lawsuit as well as the criminal case of christopher the verdict was still significant because it was the first time that the jury had concluded that an ssri antidepressant could make a user agitated now it has not since led to similar verdicts and Pfizer actually still takes the position that antidepressants do not cause suicide or homicide. In fact Pfizer which is again the manufacturer of Zoloft said in a statement after Christopher's verdict and I quote Zoloft didn't cause his problems nor did the medication drive him to commit murder. On these two points both Pfizer and the jury agree. So all in all, antidepressants for children more than likely are bad unless used properly or you just really have to know what really works for you or your child because it can change behavior. We all know this, but you have to pay attention to the behaviors that are being changed.
1: Like how do we know for an absolute fact? He wasn't on those drugs for very long at all. No. So how do we know for an absolute fact that those drugs and it hit him like a ton of bricks? Exactly. I'm not excusing the murder because he needs to be punished for that. He murdered two people he loved. Mm-hmm. But I'm just saying can, we need to take into consideration that... All of the factors. That those drugs might might do something to you. It's a drug. It's a chemical. And our brains are made of chemicals and it's a reaction. And, and I definitely think it... it Influences
2: it, at least. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, even without the murder, you you know, with, with the murder aside, the fact that Pfizer still is supporting the claim that antidepressants don't cause these behaviors is a little worrisome. It's actually a lie, especially
1: considering that now they have to disclose it on the commercials.
2: That's crazy. But, yeah, so that is the story of Christopher Pittman zoloft paxil pfizer all of that just really pay attention to what you're putting into your body and pay attention to how i guess medications your really kids. affect you in your kids <laughs> exactly yeah
1: i want to just put my kids on medication unless it was absolutely necessary antidepressants are big and they are going to change the chemicals in your brain that's, that's the that's whole a given. point that's the, that point. Is the whole point so that's scary Thank you for sharing.
2: Yeah. (laughs) And thank you guys for listening.